Welcome everyone to this Interlingo Spotlight. I'm Lisa Carter, founder and creative director. And today I am so very happy to welcome Hope Mueller. Hi, Hope. Hi. So good to have you here. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. That's great. So Hope, we're going to have all your bio and information in the show notes, but you are a debut author. Your memoir has just come out. Um, I've read it in um, ebook format, so that's the one I can show. <laughs> you have a copy, I'm sure, but it's called Hopi. There you go. Hopi, from commune to corner office. And uh, would you like to tell us just a little bit about the memoir to start? Yeah, I mean, the memoir is an inspirational memoir. It's intended to reach out to people and connect in, um, you know, meaningful ways. It, it starts uh, my early life on a commune, which was wild and chaos and super exciting with drugs and sex and um, <laughs> orgies on the living room floor. And then fast forward to today, I'm a successful executive. So it's a little bit about that story. Yeah, it is quite a ride. It's it's really a coming of age story, right? Like it takes us through your your childhood into your your very early young adulthood, and and just hints at, at the start of your career. Yeah, so I mean the the book itself, like the frame or the you know the timeline of the book um, starts you know at birth to when I take my entrance exams in school or at, to university and then there are the you know I put a little bit of flash forwards in there which are you know little glimpses of my life today to let you know that I made it out and it was fine <laughs> it's all great now um, yeah. but certainly you know the the you know sort of the core of the book ends when I get um, when I go off to university. Mm hmm. Yeah. So um, as you know, Hope at Interlingo, we, we look at world literature. It's a way of understanding more about the world, but also ourselves. And though you grew up in the United States and are located in the United States and a lot of people watching are from, you know, North America, <laughs> still the world you grew up in of a commune is completely unfamiliar to most uh, of us. Yeah. It's true. So it's funny because when you say commune here, at least in the United States, um, you think of something remote in the woods or in Oregon or somewhere out west. Yeah. Um, and that's not what it was. It was really it was a cooperative daycare setup. Um, and people had signed up for shifts where they were watching the kids and any kids could come and go and any families could come and go and the only difference was my mom and myself and my sister all lived there right. so everybody else sort of it was something that they would interact with and leave but we actually lived there um so you know commune also has some association with um you know, maybe a religious belief or mm -hmm. some other spiritual component. And that certainly wasn't the case either. Um, but having said that, you know, it was communal living where, you know, everybody shared everything. You know, you didn't necessarily have a bedroom or a bed assigned to you. You didn't necessarily have your own, you know, possessions in any way. Um, and you never knew 
you know, what kids would be there and what adults would be there and sort of what would be occurring for the day. Right. And you talk about that extreme freedom, which as kids you adored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I certainly did. And, um, you know, and it's interesting as a mom now, like, how do you continue to um, allow your children to, you know, explore and have some measure of um, their own control and freedom, um, but created in a safe space? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we look back, um, you know, it's also a different time in the early 70s, mm -hmm. right? That, you know, I think kids were, were given a lot more uh, freedom and just in general, right? Um, and sort of managing yourselves and the kids turned into sort of this, you know, pack of children <laughs> where the older <laughs> kids, you know, um, took care of, but also made all of the little kids do their bidding. So it was this sort of give and take. Um, but certainly the big kids watched out for us. And I was one of the youngest children in the whole crew. Um, so I probably got a lot of uh, care by mm -hmm. the older kids, um, just by nature of my age. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. So would you like to read a selection for us? Okay. That'd be yeah, great. So this piece um, is called Donuts, and it um, is a time when I was living. It was, my mom was in between husbands um, and boyfriends. So it was one of the times it was just my mom, my sister, and Lori or my sister Lori and myself, and we had moved out of the commune by this point. She had gotten married and then we had left, or she had left her third husband, um, and this was during that time. Okay. So it's a peaceful, um, it's a peaceful piece. <laughs> so, um, so donuts. A sweet yeasty smell filled the small kitchen with the warmth and inviting aroma of baking donuts. Sticky dough rising, glaze melting, that delicious odor wafted out the oven door. We made these donuts every morning. They came frozen in a large black box, a dozen blocks of unhealthy sustenance and sugar. Obviously, things had changed again. First thing I did when waking up was go to the kitchen to preheat the oven then start getting ready for school. Heading back to the bedroom, I shared with mom, I would leap over the giant heating vent in the center of our house. The four by four vent in the living room floor was effective at heating the 800 square foot house. The clumpy blue carpeting edged too close to the vent and slightly overlapped the outdoor carpeting in the kitchen. The vent could not be walked on lest I burn my feet. Mom's tennis shoes had melted one day when she put them there to dry. The last slow vestiges of winter clung to the thin light of morning. The gray sun filtered in quietly through the grimy window into our tiny home. The house felt snug in its smallness. The baking donuts and the quiet movements of the morning. I made my bed every morning, the narrow cushion that folded up into a chair during the day and was a sleeping mat at night. It was a dorm room chair for college students, but worked for me and was small enough for mom to have one too in our shared room. I folded up the chair and neatly placed my blanket on it. I scooted the chair into the corner of the room to give myself a bit of space to get dressed. I loved my cushion chair bed thing and sharing a room with my mom. I loved being close to her and enjoy sleeping just a few feet away. 
She and I stayed up talking, whispering to each other until we fell asleep, like we we're at a slumber party or camping. Sometimes she quizzed me. Sometimes we dreamed and planned for the future. Our clothes were stored in bins on the floor. I bent to select something for the day, jeans and a sweatshirt, and dug in the bin for some socks and sat back down on the dorm chair to slide them onto my feet. Lori's music oozed out from under her bedroom door as I jumped again over the vent back into the kitchen. Lori also loved her room. Her teenage years were in full effect and having her own room was important for everyone. <laughs> Lori's lightly freckled face was natural beauty enough, but she was into makeup now. Her eyeliner application around her bright brown eyes every morning took some time as well as teaming her beautiful thick hair to be ready for school. As she emerged from her room, her full lips were pursed and ready with a scathing sarcastic remark or a smirk of satisfaction. The heavy eyeliner did not hide the sadness and anger and quiet and full behind her stare. Lori was complete and confident with tight fitting jeans, a clean, clean crisp shirt with the collar popped. Her mornings were mostly her own, her defiance filtering beneath the door with the sounds of teenage girl preparation and heavy metal music. <laughs> the donuts were alluring though, and Lori eventually came out to join us in the new ritual we had begun as once again single parent household. The cozy kitchen in our doll sized house was furnished with a single wooden table that we had always had. The table was narrow and small, maybe intended to be a plant stand or placed in front of a window, but it was our kitchen table. Well, whenever mom was single. The table had grooves in it where the wooden slats had been glued together. And I loved to glide a butter knife down the grooves, digging out the greasy black grime that settled there. There was a dented spot in the middle of the table from some past damage, which was now worn smooth by touches and I ran my fingers along the hollow, smooth and secure. The feeling of the wood worn underneath my fingertips felt reassuring. The wood had been damaged, but with continued care, it could be made smooth and safe again. There was comfort in the knowing the places, knowing the wood, knowing the smell, and fitting my fingers in that scar. The weak morning light reached through the window over the sink then spilled into the worn outdoor carpeting glued to the kitchen floor. The oven warmed the tiny space as I waited patiently for the donuts to cook. 12 minutes to heated gooey dough and flaky sugar goodness. I leaned against the stove. Mom sat at our little table, her cigarette burning in the ashtray. The coffee cup she lifted to her lips was chipped and stained. The edges of a grin played on her lips as she slurped the drudges of her morning drink. She looked up and smiled at me as she reached forward to prepare her water pipe. The bong was short, made of translucent purple plastic. Mom wadded up her scrum of pot and crammed it into the small bowl. She glanced up at me to see if I had checked the progress of the donuts. I gave her a nod, still not done. Just a few more minutes now. She flicked the lighter and held her thumb over the small hole in the back of the bong and inhaled. The smoke bubbled through the water 
The purple plastic was sticky with brown tar and grime from years of use. The water gurgled, bubbled, and released the thick, dense smoke. The smoke coiled up the short distance to her mouth. Mom inhaled deeply, held her breath, emitted a little cough, then held her breath again. Her eyes were glassy. She smiled with a satisfied, tight-lipped grin held on her face. She exhaled, exhaled, mixing the marijuana scent with the aroma of the baking donuts. In the pause, we made eye contact, acknowledged each other. Mother and daughters in the warm kitchen, donuts and drugs greeting her morning, satisfied and accepting. The donuts came out of the oven two just two paragraphs good. and we let them we let them cool just enough to take a bite the sweetness coated the back of my throat and the yeast scent filled the air the sticky glaze oozed over the warm pastry clinging to my fingers and leaving white flakes on my lips i licked the sugar from each finger gathering each bit of flavor into my mouth mom returned to the bong time seemed to slow and our frail broken light. The fragrant sugar swirling, co-mingling and joining the burning marijuana smell. She smoked some more, gurgle, inhale, hold, cough, hold. Her cigarette left alone, turned to ash. This was breakfast. This was us. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful and tender and complex. It's really the perfect passage from from your entire book. Thank you. Yeah. There's, um, wow, so much we could talk about there. <laughs> so much. There is, there is just, there is family. There is home. There mm -hmm. is routine. There is safety. Yep. There's all of that there. And yet, you know, your mom is smoking pot for breakfast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the element or the grate is too hot to step on. Yeah. And you're having donuts for breakfast every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um,. I think one of the things that I found in reading the book throughout Hope, and in part it's because we do know one another, mm -hmm. and so, um, but whether you do or not, there is such empathy, there is such feeling for you as a child that it becomes really hard as a reader, for me at least, 100%, yeah. not to judge, not yeah. to be angry or yes. frustrated mm -hmm. um I, I would just love to hear from you about that perspective you know i was um one of the things that i was very conscious of when composing the work was i didn't want to come off as a victim um or you know make people feel sorry for me in any way right um what i wanted to do was you know sort of list an accounting of events and put people, put the readers right in the action or feeling what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and a, a lot of people have, um, you know, sort of confirmed that they, that there's, you know, here's the story, but we're not, 
we're not playing victim to our circumstances. And I do think that's one of the pieces. Um, but I do know what you're saying. You know, there's, you know, several books that, you know, I re recently finished Educated or mm. ever read Poisonwood Bible, right? Like, yeah, I, I hate those people. <laughs> I'm so mad at them, <laughs> parents or whatever. Um, that, you know, that, at least with Poisonwood Bible, like I debated quitting reading that book, you know, after because I was so angry at the father the entire time. So, you know, I think that is, that is the mark of, you know, being able to put the reader in the experience. Mm -hmm. But I do hope that it comes through that there is a real foundation of love and my mom and I are still very close. And, um, you know, she loved me and she loved me unconditionally. And so even throughout um, our addiction cycles and some of the challenges we faced um, that, you know, that love was there and that, um, unconditional acceptance of who we are as a human being and and the assurance that I could be amazing and that I could go off and do anything. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that's what I built on to, um, you know, to advance my, my career and myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I had to have that foundation of love and acceptance and belief in order to know that I could go off and do great things. Yeah. And I think that is really one of the beauties of the book, but your book in particular and memoir writing as a whole is that it's not one story there are many angles from which we can look at it and I think you know for me I I, I was very upset with myself for feeling judgmental because I dislike <laughs> it so much when people are judgmental you know about my experience because they don't have the whole picture yeah. um, and uh, and I think it is really um really well done that you have managed to show these different sides so that we feel so much for you but yeah. yet you bring us into the broader truth of of your yeah. life overall you know I had um someone reach out to me after they finished the book and they said I want to meet your mom mm. what an amazing woman um who could create that foundation of love throughout all of those things that you guys experienced and there's there's also after you know the book launch and some of the, a lot of the book readings and meeting the readers um, there's also like i feel like maybe i need to go back and write a book of all the really fun and great things that happened in my childhood because all of that was there too you know yeah. and there is science behind remembering trauma right there's your brain remembers trauma, you know, more finitely and more specifically than it remembers a series of good at things. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's that's to help you keep alive. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if you experience this again, you should get out. <laughs> stay away. <laughs> so you should stay away. So, um, so some of the, my most crisp, crisp memories are, you know, traumatic. Um, but, you know, there's there's loads of wild fun and great things that we did um as children and as a family um you know and some of it's captured but not all of it um and you know and those memories are just a little hazier mm -hmm. <laughs> so. for sure and i'm sure that you know um 
I, I think that in the process of writing a memoir too, like it's a chance for you to reflect back on all of those things and to learn from them. So there is a, you know, a purpose in highlighting or remembering or going to those places of trauma, as you say, precisely biologically because of how it imprints us, but also what, what you can take from it. And that, that is the beauty of memoir. Yeah, and I'll tell you, that is the piece that um, people really identify with. I mean, I've had, uh, you know, I've had someone reach out to me and, you know, and it was the most beautiful thing. And all she said was five words. It was, thank you for this punk. But it just, you know, it just was so meaningful. And then, you know, I've had other people. And since that time, since I've launched and done, you know, been meeting readers, I mean, uh, especially for women um, and maybe women who have had trauma in their early years, um, they feel validated. Mm. You know, here's an experience that they had and they are real and they are good and valuable human beings. And um, yes, that yes. really resonates with a lot of a lot of readers. Um but even the sections about work and having to flat iron my hair. Yes. <laughs> people, it resonates. People are like, oh, I hate flat ironing my hair. And I'm like, I hate work too. And all of us women are like flat ironing our hair all the time. Um, and so, so even those pieces really resonates. And then the other, the other piece that people have been reaching out to me more about is just how did you write your book and sort of wanting to learn about the writing process. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, but it really does connect, and people identify with different pieces of the book and um, are are eager to talk about it. So that's been that's been amazing. It's been yeah. an amazing journey. That is incredible. That is so fantastic. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I would I would like you to leave us is what do you hope that readers who haven't yet read but will read Hopi what do you hope that that they will take from it overall you know it's that it's that foundation of belief that Mm -hmm. I want people to continue to walk away with I want I want folks to know that they are amazing um, they are amazing exactly who they are today. And if they want to go out and do more amazing things or different and things and they want to grow and believe you want to write the book, you can go write the book. You want to, you know, start a whole new career. All of those things are out there and available to everyone. And, you know, just go out and be your amazing self. And I want folks to feel inspired regardless of whatever they've experienced um, or are experiencing right now today they can they can go out and overcome any of that Hmm. that's what I want people to do that's and connect with me like if you if you really like it and want to connect you know you everyone can email me at hope at hopey.net and um you know I'll email you back and we can start a conversation and that's you know that's been some of the most amazing part is just connecting with readers and seeing how um it's moved them individually Hmm. That's beautiful and fantastic, and it's 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 perfect. It is really it does sum up really what what your book aims to do, and certainly what I got from it as well. It uh, it certainly made me reflect and and realize that yeah, you know, um, we are who we are because of where we've been, and it's all good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. 
good. Oh, thank you, Hope. And as I say, we will um, put all your bio and contact information in the show notes and definitely so that people can find the book, can read it and reach out to you. I love it. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you. Lisa. Thanks, Hope. Have a wonderful day. All right. Okay.